listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. I'll read the scripture and say, this is the word of the Lord and ask you to respond, thanks be to God. So this is Matthew 21, 6 through 17. The disciples went out and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, yes, have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Happy Palm Sunday. All right. What an awesome day it is to celebrate this week with you all. Um, I love Holy Week. I mean, it's the reason why we're here. The reason why we exist as a church is this week. And this is a big, big week. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Samir. I'm one of the pastors. I have the privilege of just lovingly, joyfully leading and serving in that capacity. Uh, We have been in a series in 1 Corinthians for quite a while, but we're actually going to be taking a pause on that uh, to go into this Palm Sunday story. Uh, It's a big story, and as a church plan, as a young church, we feel it is vital for us to grasp the foundations of the life of Jesus, especially in this last week of his life on earth. Um, And we're going to go into that. It's such a special, special week. This whole week is a week of celebration, Thursday night being the night where he had the Last Supper with his disciples, and then Friday evening where we're going to have a service to celebrate and to remember, even to mourn the death of Jesus on the cross when he died. And then Saturday is actually Holy Saturday, which is kind of like the mourning continues and and the sadness of, man, we always thought that he was the guy. What's going to happen? And then Sunday is the day of celebration, of Easter, of where we rejoice in gladness and knowing that he has resurrected from the dead and that we have life now in him, that he proved to everyone once and for all that he had conquered death. What a joy this week is. But before I jump in to our day of this sermon today in Palm Sunday in Matthew, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump in. God, we thank you. We thank you that this week is vital to us, to your kingdom, to your glory, 
into every single part and portion of our lives. God, we pray that as we grasp you more, as we see you as king, as we see you as the one who has arrived in triumph, in victory, help us to grasp it, God. Help us to understand in our minds and in our hearts so that you, by your spirit, by your power, would transform us from the inside out because of what you've done and because of who you are. We love you, Jesus, and we exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the king has come. In Christmas time, we say he's come because he was born. And in this season, he has come because he has entered into Jerusalem in triumph, taking the stand as king. The triumphal entry kicks off Holy Week. And the cool thing that I was reading and seeing and recognizing, if you read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Holy Week starts on Palm Sunday. And in Matthew, that starts on the 21st chapter out of 28 chapters. It says a one week, there's seven chapters allotted um, within the documentation. In Mark, Palm Sunday starts on Mark 11, and there's 16 chapters. Luke, it starts at 19, and there's 24 chapters. And John starts at 12, and there's 20 chapters. So the last week of Jesus' life takes a huge portion of the Gospels. This is essential. This is a big deal. This is important and significant in the story of Jesus. Now, I want to kick off our time with a question to you. And I'm not asking rhetorically. I actually want a response. So if you were just kind of dozing off, hoping I would just talk my way out and you would just doze off, this is, this is the time to respond, all right? So because... Here in America, we're not a monarchy, right? We're not really familiar that much with understanding of a king and, and, and the understanding of how kings function. I actually want to ask you a question and kind of get a good idea of what the perception is of what a king is. And so if you hear the word king in, in regards to past or present, what kind of attributes or characteristics would you connect with a king? What would you say a king is? attributes are good or bad leadership power, leadership, power. what else ruler, ruler. Authority. authority good courage, courage. yeah his, his lineage the lineage is royal a warrior right they were known to be in the front lines or sometimes in the front lines but it's mostly a warrior telling the guard telling the army to go what else strength, strength. Corrupt. corrupt good good dictator very good yeah like selfish when it comes to like wanting to protect this family lineage and so we'll do whatever it takes no matter what it takes right good that's good. Like, that's important for us to understand. Like, when it comes to understanding the concept of a king in our world, these are some of the characteristics that are true. And this, most of you guys said all of what I had listed. I also had rich, right? He's super wealthy. He's got everything that he needs, right? Wealthy, strong. I even put evil because there are some that are, right? Not all, but there are some that are. 
But this is important as we journey into our perception of King Jesus, right? As we look at the context of that time and, and how they responded to the king that is Jesus and what it means for us today. And what is the difference? Like what makes King Jesus different than all these other kings? Is there a difference? And what is that? That's what we're going to look at today. So I want to give a quick context really quickly because it's important to backtrack a little about what just happened when he enters into Jerusalem. Because right before he enters into Jerusalem in Matthew 20, we see that Jesus heals some blind men. Okay? He heals them, and then they shout out this phrase. They say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, we look at that and we're like, okay, that's fine, and we just move on. But this is huge. This is a big deal because in the past, in Jesus' three years of ministry, when he would do a miracle, because he did a bunch of miracles and, and raised people from the dead and, and healed the sick, every time he would do that, he would tell them what? Do you remember? Don't tell anybody. Right? Shh, don't tell anybody. But here in this part of his healing, of this part of his miracle and healing the blind men, he never says that. Why is that? Why doesn't he tell them not to say anything? He receives the worship of these men. They say, praise the Lord for he is the son of David. The reason is, is because it wasn't time before. It wasn't the time for him to be established into Jerusalem as the triumphal king. That's why he would tell them, don't tell anyone. But this time, he doesn't say it because, I don't know if you watch UFC, but Bruce Buffer, every time he starts off a match, he says, it's time. So those of you that know, know, but that's what happens here. It's time. It's time now. He doesn't rebuke them and tell them, no, 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 don't say anything. He's, he's with it. He's like, I am walking in to Jerusalem as king. The term son of David is significant because all the Jews and the crowd that's there understand what that means. The son of David in the Old Testament is recognized as the final king of Israel, as the final perfect king that they have been waiting for, the final Messiah that's going to fix all of their problems. This is what they have been hoping for and waiting for. And at this time, the Romans were ruling them. The Romans were not just ruling them, they were oppressing them. They were hurting them. They were taking a lot from them. And so when they heard that the son of David was here, you could imagine the excitement, the joy that they had, but maybe even the fear, because if they're declaring that he is the Messiah and he comes in and he's not, they'll be afraid because there's only one thing that could happen when you go into Rome and say, I am king. You get killed by the Roman guard, right? Because there's only one king according to them, and that's Caesar. So they recognize this reality, and they are hopeful, and they are, they are ready. They're like, this warrior king, this Messiah is going to come and overthrow Rome, and we're declaring that he is king. He is the son of David that's going to do this. This warrior king has come for us. So the disciples in this moment, they're probably freaked out because this whole time they knew that he was different. 
And for the first time, everyone else is starting to notice it, and they're recognizing one thing. They're saying, okay, this is it. He's either going to go in and get crowned as king, or he's going to go and get killed by the Romans. What's going to happen? So all of that they put their time in, the three years, is on the line for them. This is why the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday is so crucial, so important. The disciples and the crowds are declaring that Jesus, the King, the Messiah, is finally here, affirming, they're affirming and demanding that he be worshipped as King. This Messiah that everyone has been waiting for. You see, Jesus planned and orchestrated all of it. It's all lined up. He made it happen to the T. He had them go get the colt. He had, he had it all lined up. He was coming. This is an interesting part. He was coming from Bethpage and Bethany. So Bethpage and Bethany are really close to each other. And if you know the story of Lazarus, Lazarus, that's where he was resurrected, where Jesus came and resurrected Lazarus in Bethany. And he walked in from there into Jerusalem. That's a big deal because, one, it's a foreshadowing of the week. Right? Jesus is coming through Bethany because he just did a miracle there that's going to look very similar to the miracle he's coming into in the end of the week, which is super cool. Jesus does that all the time throughout the scriptures. And the crowds now know who this man is because he's walking through Bethany and they saw him resurrect Lazarus from the dead. So this crowd coming in, this is Passover week, right? So this is people from all over the place. And these people that saw him know this guy resurrected Lazarus. We better declare him as king. This is the time. This is who he is. But however, it isn't what they all thought. It isn't what they had expected. Jesus came very intentionally and specifically to be the king, but not the king that they had expected or hoped for. So my big idea for us today in understanding Palm Sunday is this. The unexpected king has come and he has changed everything. The unexpected king has come and he has changed everything. And as we go through our time together, I want to answer these two questions. What kind of king is he? Why is he different? And how has he changed everything? And I have three observations of what that is. The first observation as we go through the passage again and look at it together, the first one is that King Jesus comes in humility. King Jesus comes in humility. We want, I want to read for us verses 1 through 7 in the beginning of that section, of that passage. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter of Zion, see your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. Why is he different? 
Why is this king different? First of all, he didn't come arrogantly and in a pompous posture like most kings you might think would come. He came humble on a colt, on a donkey. His entry wasn't extravagant and glorious and there wasn't a red carpet in place. It wasn't filled with riches. He was poor in spirit and ready to serve. Kings, first of all, they don't ride on donkeys. I don't know if you know that or not, but they do not ride on donkeys. Servants ride on donkeys. Servants of a king ride on donkeys. They ride, kings usually ride on a war horse, ready for battle so that no one and none of the armies can come against them. The war horse were the strongest animals of that time. So why a donkey? Why is he riding in on a donkey? For first of all, just like we read in Zechariah 9, it's to fulfill this 500-year prophecy that the king has come. And not only has he come, he comes in peace. The donkey represents peace. It's a big deal. And I don't know about you, but if you think of a king coming into war or into battle on a donkey, what's the outcome? That king is going to die, right? I mean, if he's coming in on a donkey and there's a battle going on, there's no question that it's not quick enough, it's not strong enough, it's not fast enough to protect the king. He will be killed in battle. King Jesus has come as a servant king, not as a warrior king in this scene. It's an upside down king, something that we don't grasp and understand. It's different than what we have expected just as it is different from the Jews that expected at that time who were declaring him as the son of David. He came as a servant king. The one who washes his disciples' feet, right? The one who takes death on the cross for the salvation of his people. He sacrifices himself. He goes to the front lines and says, take me, don't take all my people. As opposed to what a king would do and say, go, fight. He says, I will go and fight their battle. What does he change? The king is now amongst his people Right? He's coming on on a donkey and he's around and surrounded by his people who are shouting and proclaiming his kingship. He isn't untouchable like most kings might be. He is present and, and approachable and welcomes you and those people in with him as he enters into his triumphal entry. His humility paves the way into his entry. And guess what? We're a part of his entourage, right? They're all walking with him. We're walking with him. We're declaring him as king. He has welcomed his people to be a part of what he is doing. To lay the garments down. So first observation is that he, King Jesus, comes in humility. The second observation is that King Jesus comes in authority. And we look at that and we say, wait, that looks like those are different, right? Those look like they oppose each other. Let's read in Matthew 21, 8 through 13. See, he comes on a donkey and then look what happens. 
Matthew 21, 8 through 13. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. This is why we have these branches, these palms, right? The reason why we do palms is because the common tree in Jerusalem are palms, palm trees, right? And so the assumption is that they laid these palms on the ground as he was entering, and they were waving them. Verse 9, then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in uproar, saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. So he comes in on a donkey in peace, but then he goes into the temple and starts flipping tables. Like, it's time, right? Like, this, the red carpet looks a little different than what most kings look like, right? There's clothes and there's palms on the ground as he enters in, in humility. But yet he goes into the temple in boldness, in authority. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, which actually means, please save, please save. They're declaring to the king, help us, we need you. It was actually also, the term was also, also used in Jewish synagogue liturgy. The term Hosanna, Hosanna, when they were actually getting to the point in their liturgy when they were declaring a desire and waiting of the King, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So by the time of Jesus, it had become a fixed liturgical expression in declaring that the King has come. And so when they were shouting Hosanna, everyone knew exactly what that meant. And they were declaring him as king. And guess what? He doesn't say, no, 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 stop. No, 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 stop saying that. He receives the worship. He receives the declaration of his kingship. He embraces it in authority and walks in, or rides in the donkey, right? Exclaiming. Exclaiming and celebrating a praise that Hosanna the king is here as he enters. So why is he different than other kings? Here we see that the king Jesus, he is demanding worship to the one true God and not to money, tradition, or religion. He is tossing and flipping tables because the worship of those people is not to the one true God as they may perceive or think. It's actually to money because actually the, the money changers were changing because the shekel was actually the only money that was receivable into the temple. And so the Romans, though, didn't allow shekel to be used in their exchanges. So when they had to go to the temple, they had to exchange their money. But the exchangers were charging for the exchange just so they can worship God. So they were trying to make a penny off of God's worship. And so they were actually worshiping money over God. They were actually worshiping the traditions over God. They were actually worshiping religion, the man-made aspect, over God himself. Unlike all those earthly kings that would want money, tradition, and religion to be faced on them, 
and worshiped? Jesus is saying, no. Only the one true God receives worship. That's the authority he's walking into. And earlier in Matthew, we see that he actually is declaring that he is even better than the temple itself, right? In Matthew 12, six through seven, I wanna read it real quick. He says, I tell you that something even greater than the temple is here. That's a pretty bold statement. If you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Wow. He's pretty much saying, stop sacrificing and and stop perceiving that this religion and this tradition is actually bringing me glory. He is the greatest. He is over even the temple itself. It must have been shocking for the Jewish leaders who are very prideful into their religious practices and traditions, right? They they take it personal. They they must have been like, what is going on? He's turning tables up and side down and, and they must be thinking, who is this guy? Does he think he owns the place? Right, well, a matter of fact, he does. Right, they, they, they didn't know, but now they know. Jesus' kingdom and kingship is a spiritual one. The people around them didn't see what was happening. They didn't grasp it because in the physical, it looked like one thing, but in the spiritual, Jesus was declaring his kingdom. His kingdom is where he is. Where the king is, there is his kingdom. His territory is endless. Where he lies, where he stands, where he's declared king, that's where his kingdom is. Unlike kingdoms in this world, there is a line that determines their kingdom. Jesus has no line. He is the king of all. His kingdom territory is endless. Wherever he is, he reigns. And the people thought that the Romans were the enemy to the king. The people thought that the Romans were the ones that he came to destroy. But the enemy that Jesus came to destroy was Satan and evil. He came to destroy it and declare that he had rule over sin itself. Jesus' battlefield is a spiritual one, not a physical battlefield. That's why it looked different. Like most of us, we want Jesus to fix our physical aspects. Just like the ones worshiping and declaring the crowd were thinking that they came, that Jesus came to take over Rome, we sometimes think that Jesus came to give us the job we've always wanted. Right? Or, or to, to get rid of the pains that we work through on this earth. And not that he's not wanting to do that. I love what N.T. Wright says in the commentary in this section. He says this. He says, they wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface level of Roman occupation and the exploitation of the rich. Precisely because Jesus says yes to their desires at the deepest level, he will have to say no or wait to desires of that they see conscious of and expressed. That's the funny thing with prayer. Once you invited Jesus to help, he will do so, but more thoroughly than you can even imagine. 
more deeply than perhaps you even wanted. Jesus, King Jesus in your life today, is he king because you want him to fix stuff in your life? Which desire, which actually is a desire of his. He desires to, to fix and to, and to heal the pains of, of our life today, but he will conquer the root of the issue in a way that we did not ask for or think we needed. In order to answer our prayers, it'll hurt a little more because it enters the depths of our soul and needs in order to heal our sins and the consequences of them. The prayers that we have in saying, King Jesus, help me here in these areas are prayers that he desires to answer, but not in the way we thought he would answer them that he desires to, to penetrate the depths of your soul and to be with you and to heal you and to, and to walk with you and to hear you and to, and to declare things over you that sometimes feel uncomfortable for the sake of your good. Just like the people his desire is to heal the depths of our soul, which is why he took the cross. He took the cross because he desired to heal the depths of our soul. The people of, in that time were declaring him as king. They're waiting for him to go and dethrone the, this, this, this kingship of Rome so that he can be the king and he can eradicate all the oppression but he goes in and is on the road to get killed. It didn't make sense for them. But he was doing something deeper than they could imagine. So King Jesus comes in humility. King Jesus comes in authority. And third, King Jesus comes in compassion. He comes in compassion. So he flips the tables, he's all showing this anger and frustration, and then look what he does next. Matthew 21, 14 through 17, he says, the blind, it says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replies, yes. And have you heard or have you read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babes. And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and spent the night there. Why is he different? You guys, in the time of King David, there was a mandate within the temple guards, within the understanding of the temple, that the lame and the crippled were not allowed to enter into the temple. So they were out in the outskirts of the temple courts, pray, or, or, or begging and shouting and saying, help, help, help. They were not allowed to enter in. They were not allowed to receive a sacrifice for their sins. They were not allowed because of their situation. Jesus here comes in and heals them, declaring a healing outward so they can enter into the temple, so they can sacrifice an animal so that they can be cleansed for their sins. This is an outward expression of what was going to happen inward for everyone. He heals them, and now they're allowed to enter in. 
King Jesus, filled with compassion, not only welcomes them into relationship with him, he physically heals them so they can enter the courts of the temple. A physical outward miracle that foreshadows the spiritual inward miracle that he will provide by taking the cross and healing our sin and our soul to be real, to be in a real relationship with God once and for all. What great news is this? This is what he changes. You see that the kids are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. The children recognize his kingship before the Pharisees, the religious ones, the religious leaders even do. Jesus here is changing the value, who is valuable in the kingdom. He is changing who is valuable and who is received into the kingdom. The kings, of the, the kings and the kingdoms of this world will say, that person's valuable, that, that one's, eh, he's a kid, they're voiceless, that person's crippled, they're not allowed in. Jesus is saying no. They are just as valuable as everyone. They could enter and they can shout and they can declare me as king because I am their king as well as I am your king. Wow. He is filled with compassion. That the hurting and the broken and the voiceless children have a seat at the table with Jesus. What a joy it was to have our children here worshiping with us. This is just the, the declaration of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, have them come. Have them worship. Because I am king. I love them. What a joy it is. Man, I remember, I don't know about you, but when I first received Jesus as my Lord, like that, that passion, that, that purity, that excitement, that joy as a child when I was 16 that I had to worship God was like none other. I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I can be like a child again in my faith. I wish I, I, can, I can have the, the purity and, and the joy and, and the depths of my heart really desire how I worship God then that I can do that now today. Because of all the, the, the corruption and, 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 the, and the jadedness that my experiences have come throughout the years, it's dwindled my faith in Jesus. It's dwindled my desire and my passion for him. May we be like children in our faith. May we, may we feel passion and excitement and joy to shout Hosanna even in front of the religious rulers that will know, that they know as children that they are not allowed to speak up the way that the children were speaking up and they still shouted Hosanna in confidence because Jesus was present. What a joy it is for our children to shout praise. We were telling my, my daughter and I, and both our girls, that, oh, today's the first day that you get to worship with everyone. And Anaya was adamant about getting ready, and she was super excited and couldn't wait. She's like, I want to go early, and I want to help to get ready, because she was just excited. And I'm like, oh, gosh, like, I have a routine on Sunday mornings, I, because they come in later, I, I come in earlier, and, um, and then I was like, I can't, babe, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. And then God was just like, almost convicted me, like, What? Like, how, you know, how dare you stop her from wanting to come early to help set up and be ready for worship? I'm like, oh my goodness, she's seven. And she wants to serve in that capacity. Like, I'm actually dwindling her fire by saying, actually, I got to prepare. I got to be ready. And thankfully, 
I, I obeyed God's tug on my heart and she came early and she was able to do that and I'm so grateful for it. What a joy it is that we have a king who's compassionate, who loves us deeply, so much. King Jesus is different. He's not like the kings in this world. He comes in humility. He comes in authority that we need. He comes in compassion to receive us all. And I want to close with this. The entry of Jesus forces the hand of the people. Right? He comes in and he declares, either crown me or crucify me. That's what he's declaring as he enters. Crown me or crucify me. I am receiving the worship of these people. I am coming and flipping tables. I am causing a ruckus. Crown me or crucify me. And not only is he saying that to them, he's saying that to us every day. Crown me in your life or crucify me. I want all of you. Will you worship me in full? All of yourself. Will you crown me or crucify me as your children. I want to close with this. I think David Platt in his commentary does an amazing job of just reflecting the entire thing and he talks about the end of Revelation 2 that I think is amazing. To summarize what we've just seen so far, this whole passage, this whole scripture, Matthew is presenting Jesus as a royal figure. Right? He is the coming king and this is presented in two stages. He came the first time, humbly riding on a colt, just like we saw, bringing peace through his shed blood. That was his purpose for coming to Jerusalem, to rescue sinners. He came to be crucified as king, not to deliver Israel from the power of Rome, as so many of them thought that the Messiah would do. He came to deliver all people everywhere from the power of sin. But then in Revelation 19, Jesus no longer is pictured coming on a donkey, but on a war horse. Here is John's vision of the coming king in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that was no one, that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood and his name is the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on a white horse wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, just the imagery, if you can see it, so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the, might, the Almighty. And he has come in the name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. King Jesus came the first time humbly riding on a colt, but he will come the second time sovereignly riding on a war horse. That final day will be very different from when he came in in Matthew 21. If you have not already given your allegiance to the king, on that last day it will be too late. He will come 
not to rescue sinners, but to rule sinners. He will not come to be crucified as king. He will come to be crowned as king. Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. He will return on a war horse. His kingship, his kingdom, once and for all, finalized. He is coming soon, everyone. I can't wait. And my question is for you, who is your king? Who is your king? Is it what this world provides and assumes to be what's, what's hoped for and, and, and the right job that we've always wanted, although those are great things, and, and the house that we've always desired and the money that our bank account should look like? Is that our king today? Or is King Jesus our king, where he desires to penetrate your heart and to, and to cleanse you from the sins of this world by the sacrifice that he made on the cross? Who is your king? Who do we worship? Let us surrender to the great, perfect, final king of all, who comes in humility, authority, and compassion. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came riding on a donkey. Although it was not what we thought or expected or hoped for, you came on a donkey with a purpose, with intention, with a way, because you came in peace and you came to die. You came to die on the cross, which we will celebrate this Friday to remember and to mourn the death and the shed blood and the, and the body that you broke for our sins that we did not deserve for you to do, but you wanted to do it. You chose to do it because we actually deserved death. You came to bring us life and life to the full. God, as we remember and think and, and exalt you as king in our life, help us to remember that you didn't come to just save us from the things of this world that we think we need or want. You came to save us from the depths of our own very soul, the depths of sin, the hurting, the pain, the evil that this world brings, God. You came to heal us and make us new so that in the depths of our soul, being renewed and set free, that you will do a good thing, a good work, and declare you as king in our lives and the outward would become real because the inward has been transformed. But we thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We exalt you this week as we remember Holy Week. This is a holy week because you come triumphantly as King. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.